Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. I don't often pick up strangers hitchhiking on the side of the road, <laughs> but one day I saw a couple that really looked like they needed some help, and so I offered them a ride. Uh, they got in and thanked me for stopping, and and I started a conversation with them. I, I asked them how they got into this predicament that they were in, and their answer surprised me a little. The guy smiled and said that they didn't really see themselves in a bad place. They, they liked being free to go wherever they wanted and to not have anyone tell them what to do. They said that they preferred to live off of, get this, the generosity of others. It kind of made me want to stop and drop them back off, <laughs> just to be perfectly honest with you. But it also made me think uh, about Matthew 26, 11, where Jesus says, For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. See, it's, it's not that we should not help the poor, but that there will always be people that need our help. The key word here is help. So some states have either voted to effectively make all drugs legal, or the courts have have done it for them. Uh, Some offer treatment options, but but don't mandate them. So like in Oregon, for example, not a single person has taken advantage of them. The city of Seattle, Washington, will spend almost $15,000 per homeless person this year alone. Yes, $15,000 per person per year. If you have visited the major cities of the Pacific Northwest recently, you will understand that the homeless problem is not getting better. And, And why is this the case? Why are we seeing more and more homeless camps and people living on the side of the road? In Portland, Oregon, over half of the calls for fires within the city are a result of the homeless and homeless camps. Where homeless camps have have been cleaned up, every once in a while they'll go in and they'll they'll actually clean out a homeless camp. And where that has been done, they find all kinds of environmental hazards all over the place. Stolen property, including cars and campers and, well, just about anything else that you can barely imagine. Where are the environmentalist activists now? Where is government overregulation in this situation? Well, the government is involved, but not in a good way. So from an article from Paul Webster entitled, Why the Government Can't Solve Homelessness, he says the Huffington Post recently published an article entitled, Why America Can't Solve Homelessness. It is a pretty typical piece of lazy journalism that blames the economy and and apathetic government for increased homelessness. The article repeats the tired liberal saw that the economy is a fixed pie. When some people do well, others will do poorly. 
The Washington Post repeated this theme in its article, How San Francisco Broke America's Heart. The Post quotes Salesforce founder and chairman Mark Benioff uh, of how business success in San Francisco is driving out the middle class, nonprofits, small businesses, and exacerbating homelessness. Quote, this is unregulated capitalism. Here what he, what he says here. He says, this is unregulated capitalism, unbridled capitalism, capitalism run amok. There are no guardrails, he says. The implication is that government regulation will lead to better managed growth, a more equitable society even, a better, better places to live and fewer homeless. The mistake in both articles is the complete blindness to government policies and regulations that created or exacerbated these problems in the first place. The Department of Housing and Urban Development Policy on Homelessness is focused solely on creating housing for often drug-addicted, unemployable, chronic homeless individuals. It, it biases funding against programs that require sobriety and require work and require behavioral changes as a means of self-sufficiency. Hardly embracing the, the Fed's approach, California made it state law and doubled down on government enabling and dependency by decriminalizing drug use and, and squatting and theft when the government offers free housing, no accountability, no prohibitions no, on, on self-destructive behaviors, free needles, and, and, and the right to, to pitch a tent anywhere you please, it, it attracts people who seek to benefit from those policies. That's just simply human nature. It, it's as if the city after city is is having the same conversation like, like this. The Naniti will say, well, I can't, therefore, I, I, I need government to do for me. Since I can't, I need the government to do for me. And the government says, well, I guess we can do this. Uh, helping the, the needy makes, uh, makes us look good, but we don't have any, any answers. Uh, we're, we're terribly inefficient, and, and we'll do a half-assed job. So, okay. The needy say, well, great. I'm saved. Wait. This free housing is crappy. The, the child care is inconvenient and, and, and the free food is not very good. Oh, I'm going to continue the self-destructive behaviors that got me here in the first place. So then the government says, well, whatever. We told you that, that we suck at this. <laughs> and so then the reporter says, how can the government be so cruel and inefficient? Doesn't it, doesn't it know it's the answer to these problems? And the government says, ouch, okay, well, give me more money and I'll make up another program. But remember, you'll get more bad service, no solutions, and worse off people. And then everyone says, well, never mind the unintended consequences, never mind about them. At least they'll be doing something. And, and I would go as far as to say that I believe that there is incentive for the government to make the homeless situation worse. If the problem gets considerably better, what happens to that, 
to the agency's budget. It goes down, doesn't it? What happens if the homeless problem gets worse? Well, they can cry for more taxes to, to pay for more homeless services. This means a bigger budget and bigger bureaucracy. In spite of these backwards and ineffective policies, community-based organizations are helping transform lives every day. The biggest challenge is saying no to easy government money, which often perverts program effectiveness. You see, without government help, some of these problems are seeing success rates hovering around 85%. That's huge. That's huge. 85% of the people that are coming into these community-based organizations, and I would say most of these are faith-based organizations, they are seeing success rates at around 85% in some cases. And that, that is far, far better than any government program. America can solve homelessness. The government, on the other hand, can't. Another problem is that liberals don't understand human nature. From another article from Nicole Hayden of The Oregonian, she says mornings are chaotically delightful in Doll Crane's new home. She lives with two housemates and their two dogs, Lady and Sue, who run circles around their six-bedroom house. Crane often yells a reminder to her roommates who work for the same housing nonprofit she does. They need to go, 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 or they'll be late for work. Quote, we hold each other accountable, Crane says. I, I am so glad I got housed with roommates instead of by myself. I would have been much more depressed with the transition because while it's good, it's also traumatic leaving your community. Crane was homeless for a decade before receiving a one-year rent subsidy in June through a pilot program called Move in Multnomah. Uh, established by the county, Multnomah County, soon after homelessness experts and advocates, yes, experts and advocates, called for such an approach. The program sought to encourage more landlords to help reduce homelessness. So it went to landlords and said, it, it, it promised a year of guaranteed rent to landlord, landlords who, who agreed to rent houses or apartments to homeless individuals and, and, and coverage for damages and, and supportive staff member uh, to help the, uh, the landlord and newly ha housed residents uh, navigate any challenges that they may experience. The county used nearly $4 million from the region's new homeless service tax. There, there, there's a new tax uh, for just homelessness to place people into 214 homes. $4 million, 214 homes in the span of just four months. Crane had been living in an RV near Sandy River Delta Park, east of Troutdale, with a, a crew of, uh, of other friends who also had their own RVs. She'd nearly given up on the possibility of being placed in housing, but through the new program, she was approved for rent assistance, assistance at the end of May and moved into a privately owned home in southeast Portland in a week. And, and I'm sure the government paid for the RV removal as well. I mean, where, you know, where is it? It's not going to be parked at the house, right? Uh, and, and RV removal is not cheap. 
The government enabled the county to slash through red tape and long-waited times typically associated with providing housing for vulnerable people. Historically, subsidized housing is heavily relied on federal housing vouchers. Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler in recent days has spotlighted a study he commissioned that found it took five years on average to get into federally subsidized housing managed by the home forward Multnomah County's housing authority. While that isn't the only avenue for affordable housing in the region, it is the largest collection of affordable apartments that people have access to. Move in Multnomah, by contrast, housed applicants within weeks. But building out a program like Move in Multnomah to a scale that could serve all the county's unhoused, as they call them, residents, would require large sums of money. It's estimated that the annual cost to house one person or household is over $16,000, $16,636. That does not account for any needed repairs at the end of the year. The pilot program's funding to house more people ran out at the end of the summer. Without an ongoing funding stream, move-in Multnomah will close when the year subsidies run out next year. Crane, who grew up and went to high school in Portland, was a physical education teacher for years before she opened up a boxing gym and ran that for four years. Her interest was rooted in a lifetime of doing gymnastics, but after a string of abusive relationships, she closed the gym and soon became homeless. She said one of her partners became violent and was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. Quote, I left him while I was still living on the streets, she said, and I started learning a bit more about me. Now Crane feels re-energized and stronger emotionally after being connected to a relatively new homeless service organization, the Cultivate Initiatives. She learned about the small Portland nonprofit that helps people access housing and other services through a friend who worked there. And the program helps people build job skills and transition into more stable long-term jobs. Now Crane was hired as an interim in February And when the Move in Multnomah program launched, staff at the nonprofit convinced her to apply. At first, she was skeptical, but she, she moved into her new home within a week of applying. And since then, she has been promoted to run the, uh, the program. Quote, I was quick. uh, It was quick. She said of, of getting housed. I think we, we talked about it once. And then I got the keys to the home within a week. It was crazy. It changed my life. I, w- I would tell people just to stick with it and trust the process. When you are out there living on the streets, you get told a lot of stuff that doesn't happen. So it's easy to dismiss it uh, and, and, and that it's not going to work out most of the time. Crane initially uh, filled out the assessment to start the federal housing process five years ago, and she approved she was approved for housing, uh, a housing voucher, but was denied an apartment complex based on a poor credit score and a marijuana-related felonies from nearly two decades ago. I thought that was it, she said. At the time, I, I didn't know I could have appealed the decision or ask someone for help. I just thought that that was it, and, and I didn't want to try to pursue it again. And 
the the move in Multnomah program gave the the many people I I housed uh, it it housed a renewed sense of hope and belief in the local safety net. Now, the the initiative program Cultivate Initiatives was one of the uh, of many local housing nonprofits that partnered with the county on the move in Multnomah program, and Cultivate Initiatives clients were housed within one week. Uh, to three weeks, one to three weeks, said Connor Hyde, the program's housing specialist. Now, Hyde, who was a property manager for more than a decade before transitioning to the nonprofit world, pursued apartments with rents in and around about $1,000 to $1,200 range. He wanted to ensure that people could still afford to live in the homes after the subsidy ended. Only in a few cases did they sign leases upwards of $2,000 a month for larger homes, if clients had large families or were willing to live with roommates, as Crane's home was one of those. Hyde said his clients in the move-in program um, have all increased their incomes or are on their way to doing so. <laughs> Quote, a large, uh, a lot of people were making money before, but had a sense of hopelessness, Hyde says. So, so now, now that they have a sense of, of confidence and have proof that they are are housed we we hope people will keep that in mind as they work to build income over over the next year also we tried to make sure we we house people in places they really uh, want to to stay whether that meant being close to their job or services one woman has ducks yes one homeless woman has ducks and we actually found a landlord who also had ducks. And so things like the building community uh, make people invest in the long term. Hyde said at the start of the move-in Multnomah housing process, the nonprofit found that many of the people they helped had been on housing vouchers waitlist for years. Lambert uh, Adabajan, uh, who owns the, the home that, that Crane is living in, was eager to participate in the short-lived program, and he already had a personal goal to rent to people who sometimes uh, are excluded from access to quality and affordable housing. So the program complemented his values, he said. He said, quote, I believe in the second chances, and that is why I had this property in the first place. He said, I believe if you give people a place to live, they will show you the best of themselves. If you are able to solve someone's housing problem, then they're able to better ma- uh, maintain a job or find work. Yeah, of, <laughs> of course he wants to do this. He's He's got a guaranteed income. <laughs> he said he knows that, that many landlords are hesitant to look past what they typically think are red flags, such as past evictions, criminal histories, no steady income or or credit issues. Yeah, a lot of landlords look past those things, especially the no steady income part. But in his experience, giving people a chance has led to positive outcomes for the, for his properties, even before the county's program launched. Quote, those people I, I have rented to have taken better care of my properties than than other people because they don't want to lose their home and they want to prove themselves, he says. But what really sealed the deal for him about the move-in Multnomah program was, 
yes, you guessed it, the guarantee of a staff member from the county who would be there to help during the tough patches. And of course, the guaranteed money as well, right? But quote, I don't know what will happen after the first year of rent assistance runs out for my tenants. I probably can guess, but I don't plan to ask them to leave until they don't pay their rent. However, I do hope that the county will make the support staff permanent. This is a critical, uh, this is critical, having someone to help because I might not be an expert when certain problems arise and maybe the resident might might make a, a mistake and having th- that support means that we can all move through that. So <clears throat> here comes the the money part of the article, okay? But more cash is needed <laughs> to make move in Multnomah a long-term program to provide just rent assistance, get this, without support staff, without support staff or damage guarantees, okay? It's just rent assistance. It could cost nearly $80 million, $80 million to house for one year the estimated over 5,200 people. 5,228 people who are currently homeless in Multnomah County. According, this is according to the most recent federal count. Now, experts say that the actual number of homeless people in the area is like is likely much higher, but you know that was a census thing. So, uh, Sharon Singleton, the, the interim director of the 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 joint office, said the county would love to scale up the program. Well, I bet they would, and and is currently exploring how to better work with landlords. She said that the county has their general rapid housing program, a rehousing program, but it doesn't offer landlords the same assurance the county will cover tenant damage or provide staff support in cases the uh, case that there's a landlord tenant conflict. Quote, we had landlords coming to the table uh, for move in Multnomah, said Singleton, adding that landlords stepped forward when media coverage of the program launched. When that, when that doesn't happen, there is a lot of legwork for individual caseworkers to find a landlord. Singleton said that while move in Multnomah likely wouldn't relaunch as is, <laughs> just giving money away, she thinks landlord uh, uh, landlord. Um, retention will be integrated into existing county housing programs and scale up to better serve people in need. While housing nonprofits uh, that the county contracts with to house people can set aside funds for things like damage guarantees, uh, without an in, uh, additional influx in revenue, it would take away from the pool of funds available for rent assistance. Yeah, that's exactly what we saw in this program, right? It ran out of money. For now, Crane is thankful to have been one of the lucky ones. She has already started saving money. Well, imagine that. To prepare for when she'll be responsible for her rent. She is confident that as long as her roommates stay, she will be able to cover her portion of the bills on her current salary. This will also be her first Portland winter, living indoors in nearly a decade, and she plans to make the most of it. It's emotional, she she said. We are going to have Thanksgiving at our house, but I also want to continue to go back out to where I used to live and take food and blankets to my friends who are still homeless. Now, you know, I always love these kind of stories 
that highlight the exception to the rule. Because 95 to 98% of all homelessness and, and, and is, is due to an, an addiction problem. They have some sort of addiction situation. Now, to take the, this, this housing first approach where you just say, you know what, we're not going to deal with anything else other than find them a place to live, does nothing for the vast majority of, of homelessness. Here you have a program in this one that just gave money away to, to pay people people's housing, and they're shocked that they ran out of money in one year. And 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 speaking of giving away money, uh, from Fox News and Bradford Bentz, he says that San Francisco has launched a guaranteed income program. Just again, free money for the city's transgender residents to help with financial insecurity. So so now it's everyone's responsibility to cure insecurity. San Francisco Mayor London Breed said Wednesday the program will provide low-income transgender residents with payments of up to $1,200 a month for up to 18 months. Oh, I'd love that. I'd love to get $1,200 a month for up to 18 months so I don't feel insecure. The program guaranteed income for transgender people, or GIFT, will provide economically marginalized transgender people with unrestricted monthly guaranteed income as a way to combat poverty. So we're, con- so we're combating poverty by just simply giving away money, right? So, so now we're supposed to discriminate based on how someone identifies themselves. So as long as I identify myself as something different than what I actually am, I can get $1,200 a month for the next 18 months. According to its website, the program will prioritize the following demographics for enrollment. Here they are. Transgender, non-binary, gender non-conforming, and intersex people who are also, okay, so you have to, you have to run through that. You have to be one of those uh, categories. And then you also have to be black, indigenous, or people of color, BIPOC experiencing homelessness, living with disabilities or chronic illness, youth and elders, uh, monolingual Spanish speakers, and those who are legally vulnerable, such as TGI people who are undocumented, or here illegally, engaging in survival sex trades, or are formerly incarcerated. So... So as long as you're a transgender, illegal, uh, indigenous person who's here illegally, we can give you $1,200 a month for the next 18 months. And, and, and we're discriminating based on skin color. The program, one of, of several city programs intended to, to support San Francisco residents, will support 55 people. 55. It's ridiculous. The participants will also be provided with gender-affirming medical and mental health care so that they can get their their drugs that way, right? Among other benefits, according to the outlet. Our guaranteed income program allows us to help our residents when they need it most 
as part of our city's economic recovery and our commitment to creating a more just city for all, Breed said in a statement. Quote, we know that our trans communities experience much higher rates of poverty, poverty and discrimination. That's baloney. So that this program will, will target support to lift individuals into this community. The deadline for the applications is December 15th of this year, if, if, you're, if you're interested. Now, <laughs> I love the line here from the mayor of San Francisco, where he says it's going to make for a more just city for all. How is giving someone's money who has, has worked hard for it and paid their taxes, giving that money to someone who has not worked hard for it and paid their taxes, how is that considered just? That doesn't seem very just to me. And how is discrimination just? So we're discriminating on who we're giving this money to based on all these things that, that we, these categories that we can fall into here. These programs are not helping the poor. They're actually doing the opposite and hurting the ones they say they want to help. And it's and, and in my mind, they are they're doing this on purpose. These are these are money giveaways so that they they can increase their um, their budgets and and increase their bureaucracy and and their job security because homelessness can't get better if you're a government agency. It can't. Otherwise, you're out of a job. And you may agree with me on that. You may completely disagree with me on that. I would love to hear what you have to say. And you can always do that at UncommonSensePodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast is a production of Morganite Communications.